In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, LLS, will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps. Inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or on your treadmill, climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, and cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. That's lls.org slash bigclimb. Welcome to another episode of Wizards After Dark, getting one in right before the weekend comes up. On the Skype Light, it's been quite a week for the NBA. There's the league, the Board of Governors voting on the 22 teams, and we're going to talk about that and and, and uh, on much sadder note, um, the West Unsold news from earlier this week on the Skype line to talk about all of it. I got, uh, I got David Aldridge. Hey. Hello, sir. Thanks for you? joining me. Yeah. My pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah, I wanted to. I wanted to chat with you about about Wes Unsell because you wrote you wrote such a great piece about him that we put up when I guess that would have been Wednesday afternoon. He passed away on on Wednesday morning, and and you just you covered him for a long time, and and I wrote a piece for Thursday. And I never got to know him, but the stories I always heard about him, even well before you know Wednesday when I was finding out all these new things to put together for that piece, were just like. He just seemed like such, obviously, you know, a Bullets legend, you know about him as a player, but uh, he just seemed like a, a different kind of guy, you know? Well, I mean, what I think the, the main thing is that he was, you know, when you talk about things like character and integrity and all those things that tend to be cliches and tend to be aspirational for so many of us, um, <clears throat> Wes embodied all of those things. Like, he really was a high character person. He really was, um, you know, a, a really classy individual in, in all ways. And so, and treated people with class and, and with respect. And, and so, you know, when you know, when you see somebody that, that lives those values every day, it's, you know, it's, it's very impressive. It's, it, it is to me. And, um, I think to many other people, and so you just knew on top of him being a great basketball player, which he was, you know, <clears throat> he was just as good a person as he was a basketball player. So, um, you know, it was just, as I, as I said, I, I, he never lied to me ever. Um, and as you know, this is a business where people lie to you all the time <laughs> um, for their own self-serving uh, reasons most of the time. Um, and they don't even think twice about lying. I mean, it's just kind of what people, you just expect people to lie to you now in, in, in this business more often than tell you the truth. So, uh, to see someone that actually didn't do that and went the opposite way and was completely honest and completely forthright, um, you know, it just, it was, it stood out, uh, as he did. Yeah. You know, it's funny. So I was, I spoke to David Dupree, 
your former mm-hmm. colleague at the Washington Post who, who covered him when he was a, a player and, and David was a Bullets beat writer. And uh, I included some of the stories that he told me. But David in the interview was just like rattling off stories that I couldn't even include all of them in my story. And one of the things that he said to me, and this is like a wildly successful journalist, right? I mean, unbelievably successful and well-respected journalist. And, and he said to me, Wes was the guy who taught me to be a pro and, and kind of listed all the things that he, that he had taught him. And he even told me that, and this is such a foreign concept to me with the way that the NBA works now between journalists and players and kind of how there's this natural separation between us with a lot of times where we go see them and we used to be on the team planes and now we're not and all these different things. And he told me that when he first started covering the team, Wes told him that he had an assignment for him and he had to pick up Wes and take him to the airport for the team plane because back then journal beat writers wrote on the team plane. And then he had to drive him back home when they got back from road games from the airport and Wes would take him to, so he was like his personal driver, which is an unbelievable thing. Uh, and, and Wes would, uh, take him to breakfast almost every time he said, and they would just talk about the team. And he never said off the record, he trusted the journalist. He, he left it up to David's discretion of, okay, this is appropriate to write. This is not appropriate to write. And to me, that's just like the character of an incredibly, now granted, you know, you have a pro and a pros pro in the journalist with, with David Dupree. But, but that to me is just like an incredibly um, high standard character of someone who is incredibly trustworthy and someone who knows how to just kind of be a high character people's person, you know, like that, that's not a normal thing to me. Uh, no, it's not normal. Um, one, one small, um, correction is that they flew on the planes, but they weren't private. They flew commercial. Yes. <laughs> true. So, you know, the wizards did not fly. I promise you, they, they were barely chartering when I started, when I was covering them, um, much less, when Dave was covering, but your point is is well taken. And and again, Wes was someone who, um, I you know he certainly would test you to see what kind of person you were. But I think once he realized that you could be trusted, um, he was very very um, open with you um, and told you things. Um, and I, that doesn't surprise me at all, um, knowing David, obviously, but also knowing who, how Wes is. He just felt differently about uh, – well, he felt differently about media that I think he respected. Um, he did not respect people who kind of just um, wanted to make a name off of, off of other people and take shots at guys and things like that, not spend any time with people. He, he – um, didn't respect those people, but the people that came in every day and were willing to do the work and the grind and, and were professional to use your point, to use your phrase. Um, he was as open as anyone could be. Um, and so, uh, that doesn't, again, like I said, it doesn't surprise me that he had that kind of relationship with David. Um, because he was that kind of person when it came to dealing with people he respected. You have, I mean, you, you, you really are more familiar with him, the player, than I am. Mm-hmm. What is, is the, has there been another Wes Unseld? I mean, he was this like six foot four, six foot five center in an yeah. age with all of these 
giant centers that was dominated by big men. He had to guard Willis Reed and he had to guard Kareem and he had to guard Cowens and he had to guard all of these seven footers, Wilt Chamberlain and all these seven footers who were all time greats and MVPs and number one guys on championship teams, right? And he is this six foot five, like cinder block, this unbelievably physical, undersized guy who did not care about fighting with you down low, who didn't care about the bruises, who didn't care about just the the incredibly aggressive, not only didn't care about it, preferred the incredibly aggressive style of play. Like, has has there been, I mean, he was an MVP as a rookie. He was shorter than all these guys, had knee problems, and was still just grabbing rebounds left and right. He was incredibly smart as a player. Like, is is there another guy like him since he played? Uh, it's really hard to to come up with one, I suppose. Well, I was going to say Barkley because of the rebounding piece, but Charles could jump. Charles was incredibly athletic, and it's not that Wes wasn't athletic, but he got knee injuries early in his career that really kind of curtailed his athleticism as a big man. Um, but he was just so strong. I think the, the number one thing is his incredible strength, um, which allowed him to kind of handle anybody that came into his space, right? And so anybody that was in the paint with him, whether it was another big man or, or certainly a guard or a forward, more the times than not, Wes was going to win that battle uh, for a rebound, for a position, um, because he was just so strong. He was a very smart player, very intelligent player, but he was just able physically to kind of maneuver people around into spaces they didn't want to be and where he wanted them to be. So you start with that. I think first and foremost with him, what he used to always tell me when he played about his playing days was, you know, over the course of four quarters, he believed that he was going to eventually wear you down. He just thought very few people could handle that pounding that he would give people over four quarters. And then in the fourth quarter, when the game was invariably on the line, they didn't have anything left and he still had enough strength to finish the game. And so that's what, that was his kind of game plan. And especially once Elvin Hayes came because Elvin was more talented offensively than Wes, but he played the same way, very physical, very rugged inside. And so they really just believed the two of them would wear down most opponents. And they did. And that's why they were able to make four finals in, over the, in the 70s because they just, bludgeoned people inside and then had the skill level and Wes was a great passer he was a great passer for a big man um they were able to score and create scoring opportunities for other people with their presence and their ability to set picks and all of those things but yeah i don't think there's too many people that played that position at wes's size there's just you know you just at some point, the, the, the height difference tends to matter. But Wes would make 7-3 guys into 6-3 guys over 48 minutes. Yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty incredible. I mean, there are guys who, who have, you know, incredible strength and play that style, but they're just not that height. Like, Zach Randolph couldn't jump over a sheet of paper, but Zach Randolph mm -hmm. is still a tall guy you know Kevin Kevin Love is you know a guy who kind of boxes out similarly throws his outlet passes he's named after him but he's a tall right. guy like when you're six six foot five it's just 
it's just so different. And playing in that era, it's just so different. I just, I think it's, I think it's amazing. I think it's amazing. With basketball returning soon, the debate rages on. Who's the GOAT? One thing we do know for sure is Manscaped is the GOAT for men's grooming. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming and hygiene. Because of their ceramic blade and skin-safe technology, your snags will be reduced. I've never heard snags before. Will be reduced while designing your own triangle offense down under. Manscaped is forever changing the grooming game. With their Perfect Package 3.0 Essentials Kit, the Perfect Package 3.0 Kit comes with the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. If it's a lawnmower, then then what have you been doing all this time? It's water-resistant, cordless body trimmer, performance boxer briefs. I don't know what performance boxer briefs are, but it, it sounds like something. And a travel bag for you to use when we're done quarantining. Subscribers to the Peak Hygiene Plan get a new replacement blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer. Delivered to your door every three months, making sure your trimmer always stays fresh and clean. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC, one word. We got got basketball coming, like potentially, (laughs) probably. Yes, we do. Can't believe it. It feels like it's coming so soon because now the Board of Governors voted on it and then you kind of check the calendar. You're like, ah, it's two months. It's still basically right. two months away. We got, we got so much time of them just in the gym practicing with nothing new happening. I feel like that's going to get, get old fast. Uh, what do you think of twenty-two teams? Because Wizards are lucky number twenty-two. What 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 do you think of that as the marker? Uh, you know, I mean, the number is kind of arbitrary. To be honest with you, it could have been twenty. It could have been twenty-four. It could have been sixteen. You know what I mean? I mean, it could have been eighteen. So obviously, you know. They pick, they 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 came up with a number that includes that allows them to include guys like Devin Booker and Bradley Beal, and you know star players. Um, maybe milk a little bit more ratings out of of those guys in those regular season games uh, that lead into this postseason. Um, so I mean, it's not the number is it could like I said it could have been any number between sixteen and twenty four I think, and it would have been fine with most people um you know uh, it's good that it's good that the wizards are technically in the playoff race but as you think you wrote today it's nominally in the playoff race it certainly does not it will not affect them at all in terms of the lottery in any discernible way so um you know um i i'm fine with it uh but the teams at the bottom i don't think anybody is like Nobody would have been upset if the Wizards and Phoenix hadn't been in, included. You know what I mean? Nobody. Who would have been upset? I think they wouldn't have been I was, upset. <laughs> you know? so, yeah, yeah get some love. I was going to say, I think Robert Sarver might have been upset, but I think the linemen in there. Yeah, yeah. Very few people are, are carrying a torch for Wizards postseason prospects. Yeah, I'm just um, so curious so. to see what they end up doing. Like, how, how much, and I don't know the answer to this, how much is Bradley Beal really going to play? I, I he'll he'll be down there because if I'm yeah. if I'm Adam Silver and I find out because I've seen some people suggest that why even you know you're the Wizards why even bring Bradley Beal why even bring Davis Bertans let them let them have their off season since they're not gonna get it since there is no off season this year let them mm-hmm. have their off season let them rest let them not worry about the emotional stresses of being in the bubble and I get that but if I'm Adam Silver. 
that's when I'm enforcing the rest rules that I put in. And I'm saying, no, 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 no. This is a for the good of the league moment. This is not a for the good of your own team moment. We're coming back because we're standing to lose a lot of money and everyone's got to participate and do do their do their do their job. And the minimum of their job is just showing up. Uh, and, and guys are, I think guys are going to have to be there, but that said, you don't have to play Bradley Beal 36 minutes a game and gun for the playoffs. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know how, how checked out any of these guys are. I don't know what kind of shape some of these guys have stayed in during quarantine. I, I assume Bradley Beal is going to be in good shape because he's an incredibly hard worker. He has a half, you know, regulation half court in his, in his home and, I'm sure he's been working out hard, but, but you know, as well as I do that, uh, you know, this is, this is like, he's not even going to be in off season shape because he hasn't been playing five on five. He hasn't been doing all this, which is why they're doing a four week training camp, let alone gun for the playoffs shape. So you don't want to take those risks. Like I, I don't know what they're going to do about their plan of playing guys. Are they just going to have Beal sit a game here or there? Are they going to play him and some other guys fewer minutes and let the young guys just run? Like there, there are a million different possibilities there, but like, I I just, I don't see them playing Bradley Beal. This is just my, my personal guess is not a sources thing. I just, I don't see them playing Bradley Beal 37 minutes a game and playing all eight games and just gunning to get four games within number eight. Yeah, I mean, look, I, <laughs> look, there, there will be a lot of, lot of uh, tendonitis in training camp. I put it that way. <laughs> an, an exorbitant amount of people out with tendonitis. Yeah, and and left hip not, soreness. Not being able to make the trip. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I'll be surprised if Brad's there more than a day or two. To be honest with you, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I would be very. There is literally no point to him sitting there not playing. You know, in in a, an environment that none of us can say with any certainty is going to be COVID nineteen free. I mean that that that's just being stupid at that point. You know, like I mean, you know, to play when that, and that applies to Booker as well. Um, to have your top guy be around in an, in, in this environment, I don't. It doesn't matter to me how many days they get tested because you could have false positives and false negatives. You know what I mean? So that doesn't mean anything over a two-week stretch because this the, the virus can incubate for two weeks before you test positive. So you could be negative 10 days in a row. Guess what? On day 11, you could be positive. So that doesn't mean anything. Um, uh, so anyway, the – the idea that any that you would in, you keep your have your star player around when you have no chance of, of advancing in the postseason or very little chance a, a microscopic chance is just that's just to me that's bad business practices that's malpractice and so again I'll be very surprised if either Beal or Booker is there very long it does not make any sense for them to be there. Um, you know, it does not do the Wizards or the Suns any good. All it does is expose them to potential injuries, which now will, it would eat into next season, which is the last thing that the Wizards need after waiting two years for John Wall to come back from an injury. So um, I'll be surprised. Um, I'll just be surprised. I'll put it down. A call to local business owners in Washington, D.C. Maybe you own a local business or maybe you're just intimately involved in a local business here in the DC area. Uh, just listen up. Cause I got, I got something for you. So most of our listeners are in and around Washington. What better way 
for you to promote your business than through Wizards After Dark. Our listeners are loyal and engaged just like you are. And what better way to advertise than on one of your favorite podcasts? And to advertise on this show, it's super easy. You just have to go to theathletic.com slash podcast ads. Again, that's theathletic.com slash podcast ads. And there you can fill out a very simple form. We'll get back to you right away. So go to theathletic.com slash podcast ads and fill up that form today. Yeah, there's there's this weird thing. I wrote a story a couple days ago about how John Wall's not going to play. Mm-hmm. And I checked the comments on it. And so many of the comments are like, he says he's 110%. Why wouldn't he play? He needs to get in time. If he doesn't play here, then he's going to go two years without playing. And, and, and maybe part of it is on me for not making it as clear that you know, I mentioned that he's been scrimmaging with the G League and, and I kind of thought it was implied or he had been scrimmaging with the G League when the season went on hiatus. And, and I kind of thought it was implied in the sentence, but maybe I, I should have been clearer in the writing. He's scrimmaging with the G League because he's not in good enough shape to scrimmage with the NBA team. Like mm-hmm. if, if he were all the way there and in a full go, he would be scrimmaging with the NBA team not just the G League in these controlled scrimmages, which he's only cleared to do, by the way, twice a week for a limited number of minutes. They were playing him like 20 minutes or 24 minutes, and that was it. And he doesn't want to come back till he's no longer on a minute's limit. He has explicitly said that to me, and I've written that. Uh, And I just don't, to be honest, I think the whole, if you don't play him, then he won't play for two years is, is, is a little bit, it's it's fair, but it's it's a little bit overstated because it implies that he would be playing so much more in this other scenario. Let's say that the medical staff completely cleared him and said, you're totally good to go. There is no more risk. If you play basketball, you are no more likely to get hurt now than you would be if you came back in a year. So you can play now if you want. And the Wizards still said, no, you're not going to play. All right, so he's not playing for two years. Now the Wizards say, let's bring him back for some games in Orlando. Is playing five games over two years that much of a difference than playing zero games over two years? I mean, I just, I don't see the upside compared to the possibility of potential re-injury or the possibility of you brought him back too soon and now there's something compensatory going on with his body, which is how a lot of this stuff works. Like DeMarcus Cousins comes back from the Achilles too early and then he hurts his knee because compensatory injuries, that's just how the body works, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And I would be really nervous about that. When a lot of guys have major lower leg injuries, they they have to, you know, there was that big story earlier this year on Zion Williamson has to relearn how to walk because, because he... He had something kind of off with his gait and there was a healthier way for him to walk that would be more preventative for injuries. Mm-hmm. That's not that uncommon. Like there are guys who go through that all the time. I tore my ACL when I was a kid and I had to do that after I recovered from my ACL injury when I was a kid and I had to go to physical therapy. Like that's not that uncommon after major injuries. And John Wall's going to have to go through that process too, inevitably, because Everybody does. And there are just all these small little steps, which sound like, yeah, you're 98% of the way. So it sounds like you're super close. But in terms of the actual time it takes to go to that last 2%, it can take some time. And there's just no reason not to be as diligent as possible with that. Well, I would say 
I'm not sure why you're reading comments first and foremost. Um, <laughs> it's, it's not really what the, you should be spending your time doing. Um, look, what Fair. fans think is 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 what fans think, and that's why they're fans. And I understand that, but that doesn't that should not, and I don't think will in any way impact what the Wizards decide to do as an organization with their franchise player. Um, and so, and John has told you, and he's told me, and he's told everybody who listened that he's not going to play this year um, because he's not cleared, he's not ready, he's not 100%, and he's not going to go back on the floor until he's 100%. So, you know, a handful of games, it would be one thing if it was a handful of games in a regular, normal season in April, and then you know that, well, the guy's going to be playing all summer, so it's okay you know, and he'll he'll keep himself in decent shape or, you know, we don't know about any of those things being possible uh, this summer. Uh, so, you know, to me, it's almost irrelevant, the, the impact of five games um, at, at the end of a, of a season that really doesn't matter for the Wizards at, at this point. Um, so it it's not I have no problem with them holding him out. I have no problem with him. Not even going, as he said to me on the podcast the other day, he's not even going to go to Orlando. He's going to stay in Miami, which, again, I think is smart. You know, <laughs> Why would you even give your exposure guys to any possibility of contracting the virus um, if they can stay away from it? Um, so, no, I don't think it's a big deal at all. Um, I certainly I, – I, I'm sure they're operating on the expectation that he's going to be full go when camp starts You know, next for next season um, and – they will go forward from there. But yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not, I have no, no inkling that even if he were cleared that playing a few games in June is going to have any impact on him going forward. Yeah. And that was, that was a really good interview, by the way, that you just alluded to. That was a hoops adjacent podcast with you and big was and John was on there for what? Like 50 minutes, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah. He was very chatty. He's <laughs> always John, chatty. As John can be, as you know. Yeah. He's yeah, exactly. he's always chatty. John is one of he's honestly one of the of the stars in the league. He's one of the best interviews out there. Cause he'll mm-hmm. sit there and he will talk to you and he will he will never talk about a guy who just says what he wants to say. If he believes something, right. he is going to say it. Um yes. I I know John has been calling for an athletic big man for all these, yes. for all these years. <laughs> and, and, years, yeah. and he did it again, but man, there were, there were a lot more important things that he talked about in that podcast. And he had, he had great, great thoughts on, I just thought he was so good talking about, um, how, even if he gets pulled over, he's, he's still nervous. He's John wall, but he's still nervous. And I think that's such an important message for people with John, John's platform, people as famous as him to get out there, uh, in a time like this. Um, but from a basketball perspective, and you can actually read that, David, you wrote that story for the podcast. You can read that, uh, for the website, I should say, you can read that the athletic Mm -hmm. DC, but, um, from basketball perspective, I, I just love that John is still on the, we need an athletic big thing. I, he, he is. He did say that, but he actually said the bigger thing was a wing. He wanted a wing. He's back on the let's go get Paul George, you know, type of, of, of wing defender who can knock down threes because his point was there really aren't many bigs left in the NBA anymore. And certainly the way people are playing with 
with all this five out zero in stuff, you know, most teams aren't really using that kind of classic big man anymore. So his thing was what they really need is like that Trevor Ariza guy that he can throw the ball to in the corner and make threes and can also guard the other team's best wings. And, you know, obviously that's probably easier to get than a big would be, even if you wanted a big, and I'm not sure that they are going to want a big, and I'm not sure that one's going to be available anyway. So, um, yeah, I mean, he, he, you know him. He's always kind of looking around other teams to see if there's someone he can poach uh, for the for the Wizards. He did, I did, now, it's going to be very – now, the Wizards are going to not have much opportunity to sign anybody with a, other than the mid-level as it is, um, and there's not that many really good free agents coming out this year anyway. But, you know, it's it's it was interesting to listen to him talk about the game as he sees it today and how much it's changed even since his injury, you know, in terms of his ability to kind of get to the basket at will. Now, he feels like nobody is going to be able to stay in front of him uh, the way the game is played now. And he also mentioned how how Beal's ball handling and ability to get to the rim even better than he ever has will help him as well. Yeah, you know, something I've 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 talked about that with him before. And and one thing that I think is really interesting about it, so I he's 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 either alluded to me or or, or maybe he's explicitly said it and I just don't quite remember, but I think I think we're going to see John actively trying to draw more fouls. Like his mm-hmm. his big thing is that you get to the rim and you get touched if you just flail over you're good. You're getting to the line. And I know that John hates that. He's, he's like kind of, he's, he's a weird kind of old school. He is the only person that I've talked to who genuinely loves like 2005 NBA style more than any other style. (laughs) People love night. There are people who love the nineties and I, I don't agree with that. I mean, the nineties were fun. Don't get me wrong, but I, I prefer like today to, to the nineties. But if you, if you prefer the nineties, that's great. That's fine. I have no problem with that. And then there are people who prefer today with all the threes. I never hear anybody yearn for the, the days of, of 2004, but, but John, John loves it. John loves that era, like 2004, 2005, 2006, when that kind of like awkward post Jordan, but pre pre LeBron kind of pre LeBron's uprising. It's this, this weird era that we just kind of all, no one really glorifies it ever except for John Wall. Uh, and, and, and John liked, he, he said, he genuinely says like he, 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 he longs for those days when they would play the Pacers in the playoffs and final scores were 87, 83. I'm like, Mm -hmm. I don't, I was with, with the last dance on recently, I was looking through some of the, the Knicks heat 90s series. And it's like that, that five game series they played in the 99 playoffs when the Knicks upset them as the eighth seed. And uh, Alan Houston at the game winner in in game five. And the final score of that game was 79 to 78, which nowadays we're like, that's not even a third quarter score. The Wizards legitimately had those scores at halftimes a couple times times this year. Um, Every that wasn't even a low scoring game for the series. Every game of that series was in the 70s. Uh, And but John, John wants it. But that being said, I think he's going to go against what he likes to watch. And I think he's going to be I think we're going to see a flailing John Wall. Somebody that came through in that interview and and comes through whenever you talk hoops with John Mm -hmm. is 
and I know you'll agree with me on this, is that dude knows the game. I mean, he he is an unbelievable student of the game. And I think I think a year's perspective away from it or two years perspective away from it could could mm-hmm. be good for him and could could lead to uh, some improvements and some changes in, in kind of ways he conducts himself and ways he, ways he plays, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, look, John is, John knows what's going on. He follows everything, watches everything. So uh, I think he has thought through, and that's one of the things I wanted to talk to him about, was thinking through like injury or no injury. Just the fact that the game is so different now than it was when you got hurt would force you to play differently. You know, I'm not even talking about the physical like, can he play 30 minutes a game anymore effectively? Or is he going to be on the, the Garnett plan for the rest of his career? Um, I'm just talking about the game is so much different. So how does that change how you would play anyway, even if you are 100% healthy? Um, and so, you know, he talked a lot about switching. I mean, that was a big thing we talked about was the, the one through five switching and what that would mean for him offensively. Um, and then he also thought defensively he'd be okay because, again, there's just not – that many great bigs in the game anymore that people kind of force feed the ball to like they used to. So if it's a wing switch, if it's a one, three pick and roll, then, you know, he's not going to be as vulnerable as he would be if he was trying to guard Andre Drummond on a one, five screening roll. You know what I mean? So, um, so that I'll, I'll be fascinated to watch how he and Brad play going forward. You know, just in terms of and this is one of the things that you mentioned that John just thinks about everything. He said one of the things he's really going to do now is stop taking shots at the ends of quarters because he he thought that's what made his three point percentage go down was that he would take a lot of heaves, you know. And I and it just it amazed me, first of all, that he that he doesn't know the art of taking the heave a half second after the clock <laughs> hits zero so that you can go back. Well, I tried, you know, so I mean, that's. He should know better than that. He's a veteran. Um, but and also taking shots deep in the shot clock. You know, instead of five seconds left in the shot clock, I've got the ball. I'm just going to, you know, take a one dribble pull up three. He said, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm just going to go to the basket. You know, I'm just not going to – I'm not going to settle for a bad three anymore when I have a chance to go get to the basket and get fouled or get a layup. And so, I, I you know, again, and this is where the physical part does come in. Does he have the blow-by still to, that he's had for the first part of his career to be able to get past 85 90% of the, of the people guarding him in the league and get to the front of the rim? I'm so curious to see what he's going to be like off the ball because that has, that has less to do with whether his athleticism is still there and all that kind of stuff and more to do mm-hmm. with, all right, how much has he changed stylistically, not just from an athletic standpoint, but or from com- compensating for being less athletic standpoint, but also like Bradley Beal is better. Bradley Beal is a better pick and roll distributor. He's a better pick and roll scorer. He's a better isolation scorer. He's a better shot creator in every way than he was three years ago, the last time John was yeah. healthy. So if he's going to handle the ball more, that means John's going to have to be off the ball more. And if that's the case, how is John going to make himself better off the ball? Now, one way to do that is maybe he became a better shooter during all this time when he was just doing standstill shooting. But another way is just by John. John John didn't really move off the ball. He'd go to the corner mm-hmm. and he'd camp there. Then he's right. going to become a better back cutter. Are they going to run him off screens? One of the reasons the Wizards offense had as much success or has had as much success as it has this year in their top half of the league in points per possession 
is because of all these dribble handoffs and all this movement. Yeah. And is John going to be part of that? How do you implement those principles to a John Wall offense? Because they haven't really been part of a John Wall offense, which is just kind of a lot of pick and rolls and then you spread around him. And it's it's going to be really interesting to see how much his game his game has progressed there, you know? I certainly, yeah. I mean, I think it's good. That's that's the fascinating point. Is because the, the you know what the the tweaks that that Scott Brooks made to this offense, I think could really benefit someone like John. I mean, I think that he he could he has the physical talent to really take advantage of some of these things. You know, going forward. I mean, you have seen how Ish Smith has really kind of utilized some of the motion in this offense to kind of always be available, right? And that's part of Ish's game, I know, because he's not as talented as guys like John Wall. But if John takes advantage of the of that of, of that motion ability, or at least that ability to stay active, there's so much more stuff that will be available to him going forward than there used to be. And so you wonder if he's going to take advantage of it. But that's, you know, one of the 8,000 questions the Wizards are going to have this offseason. Um, you know, and the and the personnel piece, I think, is still more important than anything else. I mean, I think they actually get a they get a big break, I believe, with, with everything that's happened in terms of the financials. There's going to be very few teams that are going to break the bank for Davis Bertans this summer. I mean, I can't and I can't think of one, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, who is going to go to their owner and say, you know, we need to sign Davis Bertans, even if that puts you. 15 million into the tax or 10 million into the tax, uh, he can take, he can put us over the top. I don't think anybody believes that. First of all, he is a, he is the prototypical player you'd love to have, but you really aren't willing to pay for what, what he'll be asking for. So I think the wizards will keep him. I'd be surprised if he's not here next year. But the question then is what do you have left in terms of ability to spend and bring in another player or two maybe that could help you and that's what i don't know you know that's what i don't know with with what they're doing then you know can they trade thomas bryant are they are they inclined to trade thomas bryant i mean i think a lot is going to depend on the draft and where they are um so i'm not sure what they do and i'm not sure how much better their roster is actually going to be next year than it is this year i think they could trade thomas bryant or Mo Wagner. Now, I don't know what the market is for Thomas Bryant with two years and $17 million left on his deal. Right. Um, you know, Mo Wagner has two years left on a rookie deal, and I think Mo Wagner proved he was an NBA player this year. But yeah. I don't know if there's a consensus on that he is the guy he was for the first 22 games of the season before he hurt his ankle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, right. if he's the guy who he was the first 22 games of the season and he's a top five true shooting percentage guy and he's he's a 50, 40, 80 big who is going to average 20 and 11 per 36, then you know what? The defensive struggles are going to be a little bit of a problem, obviously. But the other stuff is good enough to where that's a that's a legitimately good player right there. He struggled mm-hmm. a lot when he came back from the ankle injury. That could be because of a million different reasons. They were running a, a weird three center rotation with everybody right. playing 16 minutes. And it was just insane. Uh, yeah. And it was as much of a disaster as you would expect. And, uh, you know, he was on and off with playing time and playing with weird lineups. And they were asking him not to shoot as many threes, which I think messed with his head a little bit and, and kind of made him very, very, very hesitant to shoot just in general. Uh, so I, I think he's probably somewhere in between, but I don't 
I, I think you could get something for him. He's 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 an NBA player, but yeah. I don't know if it's anything that's going to make some huge consequence if you go out and you draft a big man or you sign one for the mid-level exception or or whatever it ends up. Maybe even trade for trade for one or something like that. So I don't I don't know. I don't I don't know how much of a change it's going to be, but I think it's definitely plausible either of those guys go. Um anything to plug? Before we uh, wrap it up, I mean, I think it's you know the usual stuff. It's all in the athletic Coop's adjacent podcast, and me writing about stuff, and you writing extremely well about the Wizards, and taking a look at the drafts from five years from now and stuff, and the MVP races and things. I mean, it's very cool. Um, so we're trying a lot of different things, and you know, we all understand how tough the last few months have been, but um, there is a there is some light at the end of the tunnel with regard to the NBA. And look, I hope it works. I really do. I hope it works out flawlessly and we crown a champion and that there's some resolution to this season. And I think that would be – and I'm trying to think not about myself but about especially young young fans, kids that have had to go through an awful lot the last few months. So I hope that – they get to see their favorite players and their favorite teams and, and that it does them some good. Um, but I, I just I'm very concerned about how this is going to work and, and what what do you do when it doesn't work? And, in, and inevitably something is going to go wrong. Um, so I just hope that they have they have a plan for what happens when something goes wrong, because you can't have a you can't have a legit playoffs. I don't think um, if a team in the conference semifinals loses five guys to COVID. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, it just doesn't, I just don't know how you can say that's a legit playoff, you know, or a legit resolution. Um, and I just don't know how you can guarantee that that couldn't, that that can't happen. And maybe it won't. And maybe this is, maybe we're all thinking too much about it. Um, but, you know, I just want, I hope everybody's safe and I hope you, everybody stays safe and, and takes care of yourself and your family and, and not expose yourself to too much risk. Yeah. And, and and you know what? People people think about the extreme scenarios of what if an entire team gets it or what if a few superstars get it or, or God forbid somebody gets a really bad case of it, whomever it might be. It doesn't have to be a player. It could be a coach. It could be an essential worker who's on the campus, a hotel worker, whomever. Um, there, there are subtler, longer term things. You know, there are there are, are studies that pose the possibility that even asymptomatic carriers of COVID could have long-term lung damage that hurts the right. capacity of how much oxygen you can breathe in. Well, for an average person, there's a chance that might not be so bad. You breathe in a little bit less oxygen, maybe you can't run as far when you go on your runs, and mm-hmm. and you live just as long and, and you're okay. Uh, for an athlete, that messes with your profession. I mean, sure. if LeBron can't run as far... That's not a good thing for his basketball playing. So like there, there are all these subtleties that are specific to athletes too and their professional well-being along with all the obvious health things that they're going to have to work out as well. So, um, you know, there are a million things to consider there and I'm just waiting to see. They're going to have a lengthy medical plan whenever it comes yeah. out. And I'm just, I'm waiting to see how it addresses all these things. Like what happens if somebody needs surgery and has to leave campus, but it's not a serious enough surgery to where they're out for the whole postseason? Are they able right. to come back? They broke the bubble. Like there are just so many questions and I, I don't know the answer. I'm not saying the answers aren't going to be there, but I just, I don't know what they are. Right. Um, all right. Well, David, thank you. Uh, before, 
Before we wrap up, I just want to say, if you do want to subscribe to The Athletic, you can get 40% off at theathletic.com slash Wizards After Dark, and that's 40% off on an annual subscription. Comes out to $36 for a year, and you can get my work, you can get David's work, everyone at the DC team, everyone with every sport you want, NFL, NBA, MLB, everything. Um, That's theathletic.com slash Wizards After Dark. Head on iTunes, and you uh, you can subscribe to Wizards After Dark there. You can actually you can subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can leave a five-star review if you enjoy the show. Uh, you can you can write out an actual review if you enjoy the show. That always helps with the iTunes ratings and stuff. Uh, more than you would guess. I will be back next week with another episode. I'll talk to you guys then.